Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I am your host, Brett Rutherford, and we're back again to talk about the MLB draft. On the last episode, we covered Ray's first-round selection, Nick Bitsko, a right-handed pitcher. Uh, out of uh, Central Bucks East High in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. But in this episode, I'm joined by Danny Russell once again to go over the rest of the draft class where the Rays made some very interesting selections. I think brought in some talented players. Uh, Danny, how how jazzed are you about this Rays class? I'm whelmed. (laughs) I I think there's a lot to like about what's going on here. I do wonder uh, if the Rays could have made a couple sexier picks, but that's not exactly what the Rays are about with the draft. Uh, they go big up front. We talked about Bitsko, and Bitsko is the draft. Honestly, uh, a potential front-of-the-line rotation starter, even though he's 17, uh, even though there's all the risk that comes with the amount of time it takes to develop a pitcher at that young, uh, the, <laughs> the, the ceiling on him doesn't exist, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. On the interview with the player, which you might have heard in the previous episode of this podcast, uh, asked who he looks up to, he starts name-dropping Strasburg, uh, you know, if, if you are trying to look for another Scherzer in the draft, you go for a Bitsko. So everything that happens after that is a waterfall effect. And as we're recording this, we don't know the dollar amount contracts that people are signing. Uh, most assuredly, the Rays were talking to agents and trying to work out prices along the way. And I, I think the draft reflects that. And I think also the draft has reasonable raise style picks. Um, as uh, you even said in our previous podcast, man, that's such a blank uh, raise pick or, or in some way, shape, or form. It's definitely true. This is a raise draft. Um, but given that they only had five selections, and it was just weird. Well, talk to me about that. So I know we, we recorded the draft preview uh, with Brad and JT, and they got to raise their voice about the draft being shortened to just five rounds and what that meant for the raise and baseball in general. But I know that's definitely something you have an opinion on. And so I wanted to get you on here and I want you to get a chance to raise your voice about the draft. The fact that it was shortened to five rounds. Yeah. Let's raise it up front because this is really uh, shameful for the owners to be implementing this most, if not all of the front offices, the general managers, the people running baseball operations wanted a five round draft. It is shameful. Excuse me. Wanted a 10 round draft. The owners wanted a five round draft and they wanted a five round draft to save money. Uh, physically right now it's a liquidity issue even though prospects only get a down payment uh, in the first year like when they first sign if you have a six million dollar contract coming to a draft pick he's only getting a hundred thousand dollars right now and then the next year you start to really pay out that money it is shameful that the Rays uh, are, are caught up in this five draft situation because I know that this was not one of the teams advocating for a shortened draft it's shameful for baseball to be implementing these restrictions and then totally shortchanging all the other prospects who typically would have had sizable contracts coming their way because the players that would have been drafted six seven eight nine ten on down the line are now being capped at twenty thousand dollars to sign with a major league team which is <laughs> i mean we complain all the time that prospects don't have a living wage but that's a pittance and the, the cash situation is not that bad for these billionaire owners and passing <laughs> that pandemic onto on the, the bottom of the totem pole, these brand new prospects coming out of school is, is just so sad. 
Yeah, and, and no one was expecting this to be a full 40-round draft. I think a lot of people might have expected the draft to be contracted at some point in the near future anyways. But to see it go from 40 to 5, it, it, it is ridiculous. And for a lot of pitchers, and I know the NCAA granted all players an extra year of eligibility because no one played even close to half of a season in 2020. But there are guys, and in one example, just an anecdotal example, is Chase Hain from our alma mater, Florida State who's like already 24 years old. He's pitched for like six seasons using like two red shirts at Florida state, a medical red shirt. And yeah, he can sign for $20,000 or he can go back to Florida state, but you know, he, you know, he doesn't want to be a 25 year old college pitcher. He wants to go pro and he probably would have been drafted if we had seen a full draft. And now his options are, are definitely limited. Um, but but it, it, it's a shame. And for fans though, I will say that the silver lining and definitely not for the players, for the fans that typically aren't, that vested in the draft because there's the regular season is usually going on this year's draft class a little easier to follow the Rays have six players in the class uh you, you can really focus in on them but you never really know when they're going to play an actual game again because even uh when baseball does return we're not sure what the state of minor league baseball will be but with that being said let's let's get the doom and gloom out of the way and i'm glad we did it up front because these players do deserve to be talked about and the first one we are going to talk about was taken number 37 overall by the Rays uh, a shortstop out of Arizona State, Alika Williams, taken in the competitive balance round. Now, the Rays got this pick in a trade last season, or last this past offseason, when they sent Matthew Libertor to St. Louis and got Randy Rosarena and Jose Martinez back, and that, that's when they uh, acquired this pick. And they chose to use it on Alika Williams. And now I think this is a very safe selection, and Danny, I think you share a similar opinion on the Williams pick. Well, absolutely. He is, without a doubt, the top collegiate defender in this draft. He wasn't selected in the first 36 picks, and so the Rays stepped in here. The Rays have had uh, a beat on him dating back to his high school days. He was on the scout team uh, that the Rays had set up in, in, in his region, uh, so they've known him a very long time. They know the quality of his defense. Uh, he has a funky swing. I'm not exactly sure how to describe yeah. it, but the dude doesn't really swing and miss either. So it's one of those things where he's making contact. He's a great defender. And some of the uh, comps that are thrown out there, uh, there's really only one, and it's Nick Ahmed. And uh, is he going to be Ahmed? Uh, well, Ahmed's an eight, uh, or he's got 80 great defense. We can't really project that for any prospect of the draft reasonably. But you could say Lika Williams is a seven right now. And if you have a seven, uh, and you've got good bat-to-ball skills. No matter what the swing looks like, he's making contact. And now you can start a professional career and hopefully develop uh, maybe even more power because you get that dedication to working out and your dietary is all taken care of and you're not being distracted by your coursework and this is your job now uh, to mature physically. It's really interesting to see if he could come into his own, kind of like how Brandon Lau did uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, Bradley Nevue uh, wrote an article on D-Rays Bay when, when they did select Williams. And, uh, you, you know, I think Williams is going to be able to produce at a big league level eventually in his career with his glove alone. Now, that's not going to turn him into a three or four win player by itself. Um, but, if, but if the bat can eventually develop, you might have a player that can produce regularly at the big league level. Um, Bradley noted in his article he was ranked 31st best prospect by Baseball America. 40th by MLB.com. Fangraphs had him a little lower at 77th. But, I mean, this is a player that was, you know, very much so a consensus top 100 player. The Rays didn't go that far out of it in the, in the competitive balance round. 
But this was a safe pick, and I think there were, and like you said at the beginning of the show, sexier names. And one that I really thought the Rays should consider, and money might have been an issue here, was uh, Dylan Dingler, the catcher out of Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a player that the power really started to come along this year. Again, extremely small sample size with the limited number of games that college players played this year, but it already set his career high in college for home runs. He was already at five home runs, and I think the most he had hit previously was four. Um, but, but Williams, all in all, I mean, how do you grade? If you let's just let's go ahead and grade the pick. Sure. I mean, I would give it a well. So if you like Baseball America's rankings, which I do, if I'm being honest, this is great value at 37. I agree with you a little bit. I would have really liked for the race to take a catcher in this draft, and at 37 is a great opportunity to make a splash. There were plenty of good catchers still available. Uh, and you have to wonder how many of them were on the race board, but there was also a strong feeling that the Rays were tracking pitching, uh, even at uh, 37. And they do coming up next in the draft, uh, go for more pitchers. And this was a really pitching centric mindset for the race in 2020. Um, it, it's a bit weird to see a middle in, infield pop up and two of them pop up in this draft uh, when the race system, which is already a best in baseball is stocked with middle infielders. But what I do like, is the Rays calling their shot. If they got a guy and he is still, if, if the board is ticking off names and he's the top guy and they were comfortable with it, they talked to the agent and they're comfortable with the number and it's not going to overcomplicate the Bitsco situation. Uh, you know, this is not an unreasonable pick, uh, particularly given the defense and the kind of players that the Rays like. So uh, a league of Williams is probably going to be great uh, for the Rays in terms of a, a prospect and tracking his career is going to be fun. And, as I said before, if uh, he can add that power, I think we'll be happy. Yeah, and, and often in the, in the Major League Draft, and we talked about this a lot on last week's episode with Brad and JT, you're not really drafting for positional needs. With that being said, other than Ronaldo Hernandez and Chris Betts, there aren't really many great prospects in the Rays organization currently behind the plate. Uh, and there are a ton of middle infield prospects. Now, you could see a lot of those guys moving. They're, you know, Vidal Brujan could go to the outfield. Greg Jones could go to the outfield. Wander Franco could move to the corner. Willie Adamas could move to the corner whenever these guys, you know, start to get up and onto the active roster. But all in all, I, I'm pleased with the Williams pick. Like I said, it's not what my pick would have been, but I'm not the one calling the shots, especially when it comes to uh, signing these players to their uh, contracts. So we are going to hear a little bit of Nick, uh, not Nick, rather, Alika Williams, rather, on his audio when he spoke to the media on Zoom. And uh, let's play that now. How much did you know about the Rays organization um, and how excited are you to, to be part of their system? So in high school, I actually played for the Rays scout ball team. Um, I was able to do that and Jaime Jones went to my high school uh, at Rancho Bernardo. So I've had a pretty good relationship with um, the Rays organization and um, I've had eyes on me from the organization for, for a while now. So. I'm very familiar with this organization. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm uh, unbelievably happy. Do you know any players in the system or, or, or the big league team? Yeah. Um, one of the better pitchers from my high school conference, Michael Mercado, he got drafted a couple of years ago, I think around the same time. Um, and he actually just texted me. So that, that's one of the guys that I'm, I'm very familiar with. He's, he's one of my friends that we grew up playing against each other. 
And then um, recently I, I just hit with Daniel Robertson, the big leaguer. So it was cool to pick his brain and see, see what the Rays are all about too. So, yeah. Following up on that, Alika, what, what was uh, your interaction with D-Rob like? And um, what, what have you learned uh, just being able to work out with him? Um, yeah, I mean, so we were doing live ABs, and um, I asked him about his stance because he, he kind of changed it a little bit. He, he He's working with Justin Turner's guy now, and he basically just gave me the rundown on what he's working on and um, what he's trying to focus on as a player. And it was really cool. He had some cool stories, too, just about, you know, grinding it out in the minors and getting called up to the bigs. So it, it was really cool to hear those things. Aliga, you told us that uh, Robertson told you a little bit about the Rays, but were you aware that they have a um, a lot of like talented middle infielders and um, just the, the the depth they've had and uh, the kind of the group that and crop of that position that you're you're joining? Yeah, so um, I know Greg Jones was drafted by them last year, and I'm a I'm a big Greg Jones fan. Um, I remember playing against that guy in college. He went to UNC Wilmington, I believe, and Mm -hmm. he's a very talented player and I think it's good um the competition brings out the best in all their players and um it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be fun <laughs> and, and I really like what he said there about you know getting to know Daniel Robertson and, and getting a chance to talk to him and, and how that's a big leader in the Rays organization and how he's a big Greg Jones fan Greg Jones was the Rays first round pick last year this is a guy that seems like he's ready to buy into what the Rays organization has to offer and, and join a really, really talented farm system. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's really hard to argue with taking the best defender out there. And uh, we can say that he's best collegiate defender. The Rays might even thought he was the best defender in general. So if he's that still available at 37, why not? Yeah, for sure. Moving on to the second round, the Rays picked next at 57 overall. And they took left-handed pitcher out of Virginia Tech, Ian Seymour. He's six feet tall, 200 pounds, 22 years old. And uh, looking through some of his stats at Virginia Tech, through 26 starts, 139 and a third innings pitched. He had a 408 ERA, not great. 151 strikeouts, 53 walks. Those are really solid numbers. And if you look at his 2020 season, and again, we're going to preface all the college stats from 2020. They are a very small sample size. Four starts, a little over 20 innings pitched. 40 strikeouts, five walks. And we know the Rays love getting these guys with these high K to walk ratios. And Danny, I think, uh, you know, that's why they took Ian Seymour here in the uh, second round. Yeah, I was really hoping that Logan Allen uh, would fall to the race here. And he ended up being taking one draft pick earlier yeah. than this selection. And, you know, sometimes that happens. I had mocked Logan Allen. I know, know that the Rays have liked him. Uh, it didn't work out. And so if you're saying, I need to take a pitcher, who am I going to take? You know, if you were to look at some of the, uh, the big boards, particularly Baseball America, uh, Hunter Barnhart, who was the next selection in the third round, might have been a very reasonable choice here uh, all the way up at 57. Because he was ranked like, I think, maybe 62 by Baseball America. Mm -hmm. He was still available in the third round, and he gets selected. The Rays here in the second round, when they took Seymour, felt a little bit like a reach. Just because this was a guy who you expected to go more in the hundreds, their third round pick is in 96. And if you were to back up before this draft and tell me the Rays were going to take 
uh, three pitchers with the first three rounds. They were going to go Bitsko, Barnhart, and Seymour. I'd be like, great. That's a great result. <laughs> they did that, but they went Bitsko, Seymour, Barnhart. And I think that's a little bit of luck. I think that's a little bit of trusting your scouts and going for the guy that you like the most. And, uh, you know, Eric Neander is a Virginia Tech uh, grad and went to the yeah uh, the school and spoke uh, to the players in the past and um, he says he had no influence on this draft pick we're gonna have to take a, his word at that <laughs> um, but I you know adding a quality lefty a guy who projects to be a starter um, you know we always look for the race to add a bit more left-handed pitching so at the end of the day you can't be mad at the Seymour pick. Take, taking Seymour this early when he was probably projected to go in either the third or fourth round, do you think there's the, the, any – the Rays might have been trying to get a guy under slot value at, at this pick? There's a potential for that, and I think about that with Williams as well. We don't know what the numbers are yet, uh, right. but I would imagine Bitsko's expensive, and then you start talking with agents and you work out, yes, we could take Williams here comfortably. Yes, we could take Seymour here comfortably. Yes, Barnhart will sign at the slot value. And then that could be presumably how this went down and you got all your players that way. Um, it's fine. Like yeah, this is yeah. a good pick. This is a guy who you can see a major league projection and perhaps uh, as the write-up said uh, from JT, he really sees this as kind of like a Ryan Yarbrough style uh, tweener someone who can pitch behind an opener. And I know that's a very uh, 2019 lens to this draft selection. But even speaking to him, he was already thinking, yeah, I'm happy to play any role that the Rays would like. That does seem to be his mentality. Um, I will say speaking to Seymour, this was probably my favorite prospect to talk to out of all of the guys that were drafted. Um, another baseball dude who is just a joy to talk to, talk about baseball with, talk about his experience getting drafted. Um, he had a lot of great answers, and I think there's uh, some really good audio here. Yeah, well, let's, let's hop into that audio right now and let's hear from, from Ian Seymour himself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Danny Russell from uh, SB Nation. Looking at your, your stats that you've racked up, we're looking at 40 strikeouts in 20 innings, 39 strikeouts in 25 innings. I mean, almost 80 strikeouts in less than 46. Do you consider yourself a strikeout pitcher? Is that your calling card, or did these guys just have no idea what was coming for them? Um, well, actually, that that spike in strikeout numbers changed this past summer when I started throwing a four-seam instead of a two-seam. Um, and I really just – I think that created such a differential between my fastball and my other off-speed pitches that um, it led to a lot more swing and misses. So um, I think that any time that your pitches are generating swings and misses is a, a sign of success. Um, and so if I can do that as much as possible, then I think I'm in a good spot. Hey, Ian, what was the velocity from the two-seamer to the four-seamer? What did you kind of top out at? Um, with the two-seamer last year, I would probably top out at, like, 92. Um, and then this year, uh, actually, yesterday, I threw a bullpen as high as 96. So definitely a change. And, Danny, I think you posed a great question there. 
asking about asking Seymour if he considers himself a strikeout pitcher. And then he mentioned that the strikeouts really started to go up when he switched from a two seam to a four seam fastball. I think this is a school of thought that is gaining a lot of traction in baseball that pitchers are always told throw the two seam, it moves, but that doesn't always mean it's a more effective pitch, especially if you can add four miles an hour, like Seymour said he has from switching to the two seam to the four seam in uh, a guy that genuinely sounds happy to, to, enter the pro ranks and be a part of the Rays organization. Absolutely. And that's what you want to hear because good pitchers adapt. Every pitcher who makes it to the major leagues has spent time playing with his pitches, playing with the grips. Uh, good pitchers, even maybe part way through their career, abandon one pitch and pick up a new one later. You need pitchers who are adaptable, who can try new things and can showcase that they can do that well. Adding a new pitch that unlocks your stuff is great. Um, if the Rays had a little bit more dialed in mindset into uh, the rise on that pitch and, and those kinds of elements, I, I would doubt it at all. Uh, so there's always things going on behind the scenes that you don't know about. And it sounds like the four seam was definitely it for Seymour. And about trying new things real quick with Seymour. And this is a podcast, so you can't see his delivery on here. I think you can see a video of it on D-Rays Bay, but it's a funky delivery. Yeah. How long do you uh, think that's going to last? I mean – Again, I just want to say good pitchers adjust. And this is a guy who clearly has a mindset. He's already started sitting down with the metrics. Uh, the pitching ninja himself uh, put on Twitter video of him, you know, in the shop working with the advanced metrics, turning the dial it in. And this is a pitcher who's going to be willing to do that and willing to move forward and willing to lean into the data. And we know that that's the mindset that the race looks for. So I don't think we need to worry about Seymour. I think it'll work itself out. Yeah, I'm not necessarily saying he needs to change his delivery. I'm just saying it's unorthodox, and I, I, I'm not convinced that it's going to last his entire career, but we'll see. Moving on to the third round, 96th overall, the Rays take right-handed pitcher. Hunter Barnhart out of high school. He went to St. Joseph's High School in California. You can read about Hunter and the Rays pick there. Scott Grauer put out a great article on DRaysBay.com. Danny, talk to me about Barnhart. Yeah, Barnhart's an interesting kid. Uh, he's a high school uh, football player as well. Uh, he was the quarterback for the team in both cases, and he made the decision long before the draft that I'm going to dial in, I'm going to make this about baseball. Uh, I think that we saw his velocity start to tick up and his curveball start to improve, and that coincided with his decision to focus solely on baseball. And so that's a great sign. Uh, talking to the player, he was really amped to start his career. He doesn't seem like a flight risk at all in terms of going to college. Um, you know, he talked about even shopping around and scholarships. And when he got that question, he's like, yeah, this is about baseball. <laughs> this is about starting my career. I'm ready. So uh, some pretty fun audio with him. And uh, let's throw it over to that. Yeah, let's hear from uh, Hunter Barnhart. Hey, Hunter. It's uh, Josh Tolentino from The Athletic. Uh, congrats again, man. The, uh, was it in the winter when you kind of decided or after football season that uh, you were going to – Focus solely on baseball, and did you have um, offers or attention with, with football? Yeah, um, so before the football season started, I already knew that I was going to go the baseball route, but I wanted to finish off my high school career playing the last of my senior year for football. And then for the kind of like college looks of football, I kind of got like a couple of scholarships here and there just to be like moderate and stuff like that, but nothing too big. So I kind of just stuck with baseball. Danny Russell from SB Nation, uh, sometimes 
quarterbacks and football players tend to have a more aggressive approach on the mound when they're two-sport athletes. How has uh, being a two-sport athlete informed your approach as a pitcher? Um, I think it's, like, it's enhanced my performance, definitely, big time on, like, my mentality. So just uh, being on the football field, I'm very aggressive, and I have to make, like, split decisions really quick. So on the baseball field, it kind of helps me get along, and it's like I make my decisions a lot quicker. So the mental side of uh, baseball has definitely helped me along. Danny, I think you brought up a great point there, how the experience that, that Hunter got playing quarterback in high school and how that may help him. And, and, and Hunter said that when things are fast-paced on the football field and you have to make decisions on the run, it makes it a lot easier when you step on the mound be able to make those decisions in a much more controlled environment especially when you're the pitcher because you control the tempo and that's something you know in my very very mediocre high school pitching career I enjoyed it was my tempo my game I got to control the speed of things and Hunter Barnhart a guy that I think the Rays got a really good pick in number 62 on Baseball America and like you said if 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 the Rays could have taken him when they take they took uh, Ian Seymour out of Virginia Tech so for for the Rays to get Barnhart here uh, I think they they really lucked out Great value. And in the fourth round at uh, 125th overall, the uh, Rays took Tanner Murray, a shortstop out of UC Davis. Now, I think Murray was the only one not to speak to the media, so we don't have audio on him, um, but a six foot two, 170 pound shortstop, another middle infielder. Yeah, it would have been interesting to talk to him because this is the opposite of the Williams pick. We're taking uh, a shortstop who has great hand eye coordination, and that definitely shows when he's at the plate. But, you know, maybe the power hasn't come along yet either. And you're starting to wonder, what are the Rays seeing in this player? And so being able to talk to him and get a feel for what the scouts have seen in talking to him, uh, I would have I really appreciated that because I feel like I would have unlocked this pick a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. And you can read about Tanner. Austin Ryman wrote that, uh, uh, did a great write-up on, uh, on the oh, selection. Oh, yeah, Austin, new to the site, um, yeah. just did a fantastic job uh, writing up Tanner Murray. I think uh, – there's a lot of information about the quality of player that the Rays are getting out of her. So you yeah. can revisit that. And then uh, we do have audio of Rob Metzler, though, just really briefly talking about Murray that we can throw it to. Let's hear that right now. Tanner Murray was somebody we identified up in the Cape last summer. Um, spent a good amount of time scouting him this fall at UC Davis. And, you know, this spring we got a quick look at him and we're, we're happy with the progress up in the Cape. Really identified his defensive ability at shortstop and, you know, plus contact skills, we thought, you know, through the fall and into the spring, he was showing strength gains and, and somebody who offensive profile was really coming on as well. Really encouraged to get him there. And hearing from Rob Metzler there, a guy that, that Danny, you know, he's really changed the way the Rays view drafts coming in. How, how important is he to, to this operation, this entire operation? Well, him getting the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, when it comes to the draft was great. Uh, the Rays did a bit of a transition there in the same way that uh, Matt Silverman slowly handed the reins over to Eric Neander. Uh, Artie Harrison slowly handed the reins over to Metzler, but it's been for the better. The draft results have improved, and uh, the Rays are having a lot of success right now out of the draft. Or, well, I mean, at least in terms of seeing those players uh, perform well in the minors, it's the number one farm system again. So uh, Metzler's a good one. For sure. And uh, hopefully Tanner Murray is just as good of a shortstop. Add him to the rest of the Rays middle infielders in the draft. Moving on to the Rays' final selection of the week in the fifth round, uh, the 155th overall selection, 
The race took right-handed pitcher Jeff Hackinson, who is a career reliever out of UCF. And Hackinson will admit it. You know, this is not a common path. You know, usually college and professional pitchers were a starter at least some point because they're usually one of the best pitchers on their high school teams and usually their college teams as well. But Hackinson has been a closer since his time at Jesuit High School in Tampa. <laughs> he might have struck you out a couple times. Yeah, probably. I, I, that's why I became a pitcher because I could not hit. Oh, excuse me. You didn't play both sides. No, no so way. So you, you had to sit there and watch on the sidelines as uh, Hackinson just decimated your team? And I was more than me? comfortable with that. I got to, you know, sip some Gatorade, chew some sunflower seeds. I was fine. Just beautiful day at the ballpark. Hackinson is, is interesting because it's definitely a situation where the Rays uh, saw a guy that they wanted and forced his hand. It's your last pick of the draft. Things are about to get bananas with all these players being uh, – lured over but they can only be given twenty thousand dollars Hackinson by all accounts was considering going back to school I believe I don't yeah. know if he was anticipating a, a call in the draft you know you start to get a feel as you get scouted and, and scouts start to have conversations with you so as a player you can get a sense that like oh maybe something's gonna happen but he was clearly very excited to get this call um, hometown kid as you're saying is a really fun story but the Rays saw something here where they said, we don't want to let this guy go, or we don't want to risk him going to another team. We want to lock this specific reliever in. And this is definitely a situation where, uh, you know, maybe they had the inside scoop out of UCF. I know he was a local kid. Um, according to the Rays, uh, they really heavily scouted him once he got to UCF, and they really liked him. So here we are. He's got a, you know, a good fastball sitting low nine. I think he was topping out at around 94, and a pretty good slider to go along with it. Um, in in uh, over 26 and two-thirds innings, he struck out 52 last season in his sophomore year, picked up six saves for the UCF Knights. And I'm sure uh, Juan Trevio of MLB.com is going to make sure that we hear all about his time at UCF. Well, Juan's going to be giving us updates every single time he's around the minors. It's going to be <laughs> unbearable. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to hear from Hackinson here. And I, I don't know if we'll play it, but Juan does mention his time uh, – at the bounce house, going to the bounce house football games at UCF, the home of the national champions. But uh, let's hear from uh, Jeffrey Hackinson right here. Big time. Just what, uh, what did it feel like to be drafted by your hometown team? Um, I mean, I don't know. It's just incredible. I mean, there's no way really to put it into words. I mean, just going to the Rays games as a kid. And I mean, just hoping one day I could be out there, you know. I mean, it's just incredible to be drafted by my home, hometown team, team I grew up uh, a fan of. I mean, it's just incredible. And Hackinson was the last pick in the Rays draft, like we said, shortened to just five rounds. But, but Danny, and, and I think Hackinson was a solid pick, especially if the Rays did have the inside scoop on the right-handed pitcher. Uh, any guys you wish they would have taken at some point in this draft or specifically in the fifth round? Yeah, I mean, so I've got one that I'm more biased about and one that objectively I would have wished for. Um, you know, taking a career reliever is just odd when you only have five rounds to go through. Uh, where the Rays were... I mean, the draft is almost over, and one of the players that have fallen in the draft was a right-handed pitcher out of Texas, a junior named Bryce Elder. The Braves took him at the next pick, and he was 83 on Baseball America. He looks like a number three, number four style starter, but the kind of pitcher that you expect the Rays to take uh, in a 10-round draft. So I, I thought it was a great opportunity. I don't know if he was asking for too much money or if the Rays just really liked Hackinson, but it was a little surprising for me personally. Uh, to see Elder going to the Braves the next pick. 
Um, but also on a personal level, I kind of had my fingers crossed. This was in my mock draft, but Florida State's own Elijah Cabell. Mm. I mean, I know he's got a 40% strike rate, strikeout rate. Forgive me we for can work mentioning with that. that up front, but he has got an arm from the gods. All right. He, <laughs> he is so much fun to watch play. He can never keep his hat on because he's just throwing his body everywhere all over the field. Um, Have you seen the, the Twitter power. account, Elijah Cabell's uh, hat? Oh, is there? <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> and, and the power is, I mean, sometimes I'm like, is this Hercules playing for Florida State right now? Florida State's not the easiest ballpark to hit no. dingers out of. And the dude no. is just crushing the ball with real man strength. Uh, the Brewers tried to convince him to sign in the 14th round back in 2018. He didn't. I, I, he crowds the plate a ton, too, which is odd, a bit of his game. I think he got uh, hit by a pitch nine times out of ten games or something. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a very odd player. Um, he definitely attracts the camera a little bit, too. But just from an entertainment perspective and the emotional connection I have as a Florida State Seminole, uh, I really would have liked Cabell to sign um, – you know, it sounds like he probably wouldn't take 20 grand to play pro at this point. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's so hard to determine what this undrafted free agent class is going to look like for the Rays or for any other team. But for Cabell, I mean, getting a chance to cover him at, at Florida State, you talk about his power, and it's power to all fields. You know, he showed, on, he showed up on campus as a freshman um, after, you know, the Brewers failed to sign him. He was originally signed a, a letter of intent to LSU. He was able to get out of that and come to Tallahassee. And uh, power to all fields, a batting practice show. He wasn't that big his freshman season. But when he showed up, and I was at that first practice for this past season, uh, he was massive. I mean, completely shredded. The power's there. The arm is there. Uh, I wouldn't say he's quite a five-tool player, but maybe four really strong tools. And uh, Cabell is a guy, yeah. You know, maybe the Rays get a chance to take him next season. Would probably have to take him pretty high up, especially if – he has another really good year with Florida State, but uh, Cabell, very talented player. Yeah, I've heard he's benching up to near like 300 at this point. Like the dude has definitely put on his strength. Absolutely shredded. And uh, by the time so he's a candidate, you guys... uh, well, so just to finish Cabell real quick. No, go. Uh, I think it would be really interesting if he tried to add catching to, to his skill set. I don't know how much he's caught in his career, but just looking at uh, everything that he presents in terms of his tools if he was playing behind the plate instead of in the outfield I think uh I think he has a chance to go even higher than he would already be projected to next year um and speaking yeah. of catchers though if the Rays are gonna enter this free-for-all of all these uh players signing for 20 grand here and there uh, I really hope they sign a catcher and I really hope they get a catcher with power I will have my eye on Duke's catcher Michael Rothenberg mm -hmm. uh, he's a switch hitting uh ACC home run derby uh, finalist. <laughs> he came in second, even though he slammed 25 home runs in 2019. That was really special. I thought he was going to take it. Um, so he's been on my mind. I do wonder if he would be available uh, when, when the signing period opens on Sunday. But who knows? Yeah, and, and by the time this podcast is released on a Monday, you know, players will probably already be signing. We don't know how many. We don't know what positions. We don't know what – we have no idea, which is going to make it even more fun, I guess. Not for the players who should have been drafted, uh, but maybe for fans who get to follow and, and kind of see how this pans out. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Raise Your Voice podcast as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. Thank you to Danny Russell once again hopping on the show. 
some great draft coverage, not only on this podcast, but on DRaysBay.com as well. We mentioned almost all of the articles uh, put out by guys like Scott Grauer, Austin Ryman, Victor Akintola, uh, Danny Russell's put out a few great ones, uh, Bradley Nevy. Oh, shout out Morgan. to Homan. Uh, Homan Lee, our guy in Korea, who uh, we should have given Dap to the previous podcast for calling yeah. Fitzgo. Yeah, for sure. And in, in, in home, he didn't think he would fall, but he was well. like, "Hey, that, that, that's I." I was all in on the catcher Bailey, hoping that he would fall for mm-hmm. some reason. He didn't. He went to the Giants, but that was Holman's Bailey. Holman was really trying to uh, cross his fingers for Bisco, and it worked out. So, so definitely some great draft coverage over on DRaysBay.com. So make sure to check that out. If you subscribe to this podcast feed, you'll get new episodes of Raise Your Voice as well as the Hit Show downloaded directly to your device. Thank you guys for listening. If you could rate and review wherever you're listening to this on, that would be a huge help to keep spreading this to more Rays fans. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and I'll talk to you guys next time.